America. My name is Ami Yosef from Pong. I come to you live every uh, Monday and Thursday. It's a late show today because you know, I was putting the kids to bed and then I got working and doing some other things. And so now you get me now. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about Hegel and his rebel and what that means about divorce in a way that I think is provocative and you're not going to hear anywhere else. So let me just give it to you. For Hegel, he understands civil society. That's the market-based principles through which we kind of accommodate each other through, you know, working jobs. And we get our civil identities through what we do. And that's the way we express our individuality by, you know, what we purchase and what we produce and all of that stuff. And that's a form of, um, that is a form of uh, freedom, Right. So our identity is tied with how we produce for others and how we consume and all that stuff. And that's great for what it is. But the thing is, the dynamism of the market, the, the aspect of the market that allows it to provide us needs and provides us opportunities to kind of secure our, our life and livelihood and our wants and our needs creates, um, is, is unstable. So people can commit themselves to a profession for a long time and then the market decides that their profession is no longer necessary, right? And they're cast out. So by committing themselves to a profession, by becoming something that the market wanted and that you are honored for, you could just as quickly, because the market's dynamic, it's great because it's flexible, but it's also dynamic. You could just as easily be, you could quickly be cast out. Now we call it involuntary unemployment. Hegel just call it, those are the rabble. Those are the people who bought into the system as a system of freedom, who bought into the market, who did what they were supposed to do, and then the market just kind of zigged when they zagged. <laughs> and these are your beeper salesmen, the people who used to work at uh, Blockbuster Video, you know, all of those folks. Um, the market zigged when they should have zagged. And now they're without a job and without a sense of dignity or without a, a place in the world. And they're the rabble. And they are outside of civil society by buying into it. And these are very dangerous people for Hegel because, or for, you know, anyone who cares about orderly society because they did everything right and they were still punished. And this is by the logic of the, um, the logic of the market itself has both brought them in and cast them out. So he feels like it's, it's very dangerous and it's a problem. It's a problem he doesn't actually deal with, but uh, you know, these people kind of come back, depending on your interpretation of Marx, as like the revolutionary class because they did what they were supposed to. They've guilt skills. It's just that the market itself is, is, has betrayed them. Anyway, these people are outside. So they have an external relationship now with you know, the institutions of society. They have an external relationship with the institutions of society. Before, when the market respected them, they had an internal relationship with the institutions of society. You know, their life made sense. Their, their stature made sense. Their, their, you know, these are the people who we talked about in mid-America who had manufacturing jobs before NAFTA. Like, the, everything made sense. And then, like, something happened, and the market um, kind of uh, left them the dynamism of the market, which we like because it gets us all of our new fancy things, but also punishes the people who commit themselves to a craft and get their identity from their craft and their, their ability to produce and, um, and leaves them behind, right? So they get punished for believing in, in a relatively just system. They get punished for believing in it and working with it. And, and Hegel finds these people very dangerous and destabilizing. All right.
So now compare them to children of a divorce who get punished for believing that there's a unified world, especially, and I think, you know, I've been talking about this for the last few shows, but yeah, I'll be talking about this for a while because nobody else is, but especially the people who divorce for irreconcilable differences, irreconcilable differences. That just means that there was no real reason why we are uh, divorcing. Nobody did anything wrong. We're just kind of quitting the unity of the world. And I think that suggests to kids that, um, uh, you know, reason doesn't hold institutions together, which is kind of a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous uh, precedent because if it's not about reason, then it's about power, then you just end up raising mercenaries. Um, and, you know, there's a lot that, that there's a lot of bad things that go into that. And, and then people who are scared to pull the trigger because they don't think that, you know, there's any justice in the world. So, um, you're teaching kids. So the kids did what they were supposed to do, and yet their world fractures. And that's not really fair to them. And it fractures in a way that's, that leaves them to be nihilist because you can't have... All right, so I, yeah, I can run this argument back a little bit. Um, I'm skipping a few steps, but you're smart and you, you can keep up. But if, if there isn't one good that kind of organizes the world, if there isn't one world and everything's kind of a subordinate to it, <laughs> Um, in a way that makes sense, subordinate to it, like Aristotle calls it the architectonic, um, uh, an architectonic ruler, and it kind of subordinates everything, and everything is what it is relative to the one thing that's that's good. If there are multiple goods, and multiple like um, uh, forms, uh, multiple uh, uh, orders of subordination, and everything is what it is relative to this or this, but they have, but they're different then that just means that there's nothing. So you end up raising nihilists. So, uh, so either there's one good that makes everything else make sense, or there are many goods that, are, that don't have to go together, but that means that there is nothing <laughs> because if everything is what it is relative to how it figures into you know, producing this good, then there, there is, there's no highest good. If there are multiple highest good, that means there's no highest good. And... Uh, that's how you get kind of nihilism. So what you've taken, so with kids, you've started them out with a unity. They've bought into the unity. And now there is disunity for no real reason, right? And that's the irreconcilable differences. And I have a theory that the, the more um, flippant the reason for divorce, the more damage in this kind of ideological way that the, the divorce is... Um, um, uh, the, um, the more flippant the reason for the divorce, the more ideological damage. It's almost better to be like, to have a clear bad guy and an abuse, which is why often a lot of uh, people who get divorced and they have custody of the kids have to make the other person the bad guy because if it's just flippant, that means the kid's going to have an idea that there is nothing. So you've created rabble. You've created people who are now have an external relationship with meaningful institutions because their uh, relationship with the institutions is not through, you know, reason and sense, right? It's just um, because we've decided that reason and sense if it, if, like don't matter in the world. They couldn't keep a marriage together. What else can't they keep together? And that is, that is the danger, right? So... Um, When we, <clears throat> people are overly casual about what it means to, uh, to, to, to split 
a world for for a child and tell them that pretty much you're saying that there is no unified world and what <clears throat> what i want to talk about is through the family you get an internal understanding of the way it works right now we think of individuality as something that's abstracted from all of our social relations abstracted from our family abstracted from our jobs we're just abstract individuals and we're just kind of born who we are but that's not really a very robust sense of individuality individuality goes through our relationships individuality goes through our so we are who we are through the particular relationships we have and um when you when you cast people back when people understand themselves as an individual through this family that they're immediately connected to and born into but then you've cast um and then they interact with the world um as a member of this family and then when you say that that family isn't actually meaning anything, like, like that changes how they interact with the world because they interacted with the world as like a member of something where membership matters, right? Even we, have, we think we have institutions that are built for individuals, but actually we have institutions that are built for certain kinds of individuals. There are certain kinds of people who come out of intact families for example i've I, I was looking back and i think i've only dated like one girl maybe who had a daddy <laughs> and that probably um and I, I i really do think that um that's because i mean there's very good reasons that people with fathers wouldn't wouldn't date me but also i never really thought about it and, um, you know, I'd be very suspicious of my daughters. I have two of them. You know, the people they date, I want them to have a father. <laughs> I want that, that person to, to have a father. So, um, you know, I think there's a way in which I was obviously damaged. And anybody with a father would, like, see that, like, oh, this guy didn't grow up with a dad, which I didn't. And I was, I'll be honest, I was, I mean, I had my charms, but, you know, like, I would have been better off with a dad. And, and and my dad was fine, but he was <laughs> he was kicked out of the house when I was a kid. So there is something about individuals who come from families and their groundedness in the world. Because when you come from a family, it's not just that the family teaches you about who you are as a member of the family. The family teaches you about what who you are as an individual member of the family and what the family is relative to other institutions. So you get like an institutional apprehension of the world that's internal to the world as opposed to when you are the rabble and you just kind of have an empirical understanding of the world where you just kind of see what works and what doesn't, but not with any sort of ideology, like not with any sort of rationality of the world. Does that make sense? And this is a very important point. I might come back to it a few times about people with an internal understanding and, and then people who are just kind of reading the tea leaves and just kind of figuring out by trial and error and that kind of um, in, like that quality of empiricism, which is the opposite of living in a world that makes sense. It's living in a world where you've kind of given up on it making sense and you're just kind of like trying to... Um, you're doing it by induction in a way that you're just trying to see what works this time because it worked last time, but not with really sort of, um, not with any sort of um, sense that there is a logic to the institutions that govern this world.
Right? And so, like, my kids like, pretty much understand that there is sense in this world and stability in this world um, because of how I've, you know, because they see sense and stability in our interactions. Um, and I have complete faith if, like, you know, my wife and I, for some reason, uh, divorce for irreconcilable differences, they would be a wreck. They would be a complete wreck in a way that, that, that people don't um, admit. And I was talking about this before, and, and, and people say, like, well, you know, I've never met a woman who regrets her divorce. And I kind of believe that's true, but I've also, you know, I haven't met too many women who blame themselves for their screwed-up kids. And I think <laughs> we need to take that seriously, too. And what that means, what that means to, to kind of damn the children to an external... Um, view of institutions where they don't actually think that they're going to the way like they are not stable in the same way as someone who actually understands the world to be ruled and governed and should be governed and ought to be governed and is mostly governed except for aberrant situations by reason right and that's the difference between someone who's grounded in a like grounded in a world where unions stay together through reason and not through like you know passion and someone who's grounded in a world where like people just kind of do what they want when they want to because they want to and you can't really trust anything so you just kind of kind of read the tea leaves or or try to uh, like inductively see patterns and just kind of ride the wave and you're just always gambling you're riding a trend as opposed to thinking that like okay there is stability in this world and there's stability in institutional relations because I grew up in a family that taught me what it meant to be in this family and it also taught me what this family meant relative to other institutions. And then so like because you had because you were like involved and cast in a stable institution as part of its logic that was connected to other institutions, you were cast in a stable world as opposed to looking at that world from the outside. It's, you know, when I made a similar point to students when I wasn't talking about marriage, wasn't studying marriage that much uh, then. And I was like, it's the difference between being like thrown down in a football game where you know the rules and you believe in the rules and you understand what everyone's doing and being like, just kind of like dropped into it, like parachuted into a football game and you have no idea what the rule is. Just a, sometimes people hit you, sometimes they don't. There, there's, there's noise and you can kind of figure out what to do so that people cheer you instead of hit you, but you don't really understand the game in the internal way. You just kind of are looking at signs and trying to, to, to isolate patterns, but you don't understand the rules and you don't believe in the rules and you don't actually know what you're doing in the same way that someone who understands the rules. That's someone with an internal point of view of the game. And uh, someone with the external point of view is just kind of reading behaviors and, and, and recognizing patterns and behaviors without actually attributing or believing in the reason of those behaviors. And these are the situations you, uh, you, you throw kids into. If you have an internal understanding of the game, you're going to respect the game for what it is. If you have an external understanding of the game, it's all just kind of gambling, and you're going to be more of a mercenary about it because you don't understand why you're doing anything anyway, but you just know that if you do this, people cheer, and if you don't do that, people boo. 
and you like, and that is two different ways of being an individual who's embedded in a situation. And the situation, um, I think, and the reason I'm saying this is I think it's actually explanatory when I look at, you know, the way people from, you know, broken, dubious homes negotiate the world versus people from stable homes negotiate the world. And, uh, you know, the, the former, the people from broken homes are a little bit more kind of skittish and resistant, and I suspect they wouldn't pass the... Um, the what you call it test, well, you know, delayed gratification. Well, I I just think that, and I just think that if you have the internal understanding of the game, you're more solidly grounded in the game, and you get the internal understanding of, of like the institutions in your community or in your nation through your family, because it tells you what it is to be an individual member of the family, and then it tells you what the family means to everything else. So you kind of just there's a sense as opposed to someone who is gleaning the sense from just watching patterns. And you're making your own sense, but you, don't, but you understand that at any point in time, things can work out a different way because you were just kind of making up the pattern you saw anyway, right? So there's a kind of a stability um, in being in a relationship with someone who actually believes that reason solves relationships versus someone who's just like playing gambling uh, playing the odds in every relationship because that's just the way they think that institutions work. And the latter are going to be mercenaries, right? So I, I'm not surprised that a lot of people who actually grew up in um, uh, broken homes end up like, you know, in, in screwed up relationships and no, they just get divorced because they go into relationships with the wrong, they don't have an internal understanding of why they're going into the relationship. And then um, it turns out they're bad in the relationship. So, you know, I, I understand the, the people with uh, intact families who like said, this guy's screwed up in his relationship. I like, might not have a sense of his relationship because there's a way in which I, I didn't for a lot of years. And I just kind of figured it out through reading books and like, um, but what I wanted to get over on this video was the difference between um, an internal understanding of institutions and an external understanding of institutions, institutions where you're just kind of looking at the effects and then making your own theory about the effects versus institutions where you actually know how it's created and why it's created and how they all fit together. And the stability that the latter um, uh, offers that the former could never offer and, and what that means. Also, I wanted to get you to understand, well, the logic of the rabble in Hegel, where they buy into a system that then generates, that, that then casts them away as, as detritus, right? So you, you work, you hone your craft, your craft is honored by the market, and since, but since the market's dynamic, all of a sudden your craft is not honored by the market, and you can't just pick up another craft because it's a whole craft. And, uh, and so you are the rabble, you get pushed out of your honor and your means of subsistence by the same logic of the system that like pulled you in to participate. And that's like creates a quality of, of, of kind of woebegoneness that's, that's a problem for any sort of functional society. Um, and how that has an ana analogy to children 
who were cast out functionally of their family. Because if you divorce, you pretty much don't have a family of that. You, you, don't, you, you don't have a family anymore, right? So just like the manager at, at Blockbuster Video um, or Tower Records, like when Tower Records went bust, they were no longer what they were as a manager of Tower Records or Blockbuster Video. A kid, once they're... Um, once their families breaks up like that, they no longer have the same family. Like you could say, like, oh no, they're co-parenting now. Now, now that's that thing. They're like they're cast off. They are, they are without uh, unified reason or being in the world. And so now they're kind of an abstract individual, and they will hunt in the world as a. Um, they will hunt as an individual. Oh, yeah. Uh, someone mentions my wife. My wife's dope. But she also comes from a screwed up family. So we have two people with like, and we've made it work just through like reasoning and working it out. But it's, 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 it is a matter of kind of making it up as you think through that, think through what it means to be a family because you didn't actually come through it internally. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's an accident that both of my wife and I come from, um, like screwed up families, but, uh, you know, it's made us very intentional about ours and it's made me the kind of person who thinks that like, uh, this is important to talk about. First of all, and I also want to talk to this, uh, talk about this because this is a long-term play in, in politics, you know, now that the right got rid of, you know, abortion or loosened the uh, row with Dobbs, they're going to have to, uh, yeah, someone says he always blames his mother. Yeah, because my mom left my dad. And she admits that she kind of left him because, like, it just seemed more convenient. Um, and, you know, people make mistakes, but that's, like, a kind of big one. Um, and then you look at, and then you look at, you know, my sister's not, you know, none of our lives have been particularly great. And like, there was a huge drop off, uh, uh, like because of that decision, which seemed, you know, at least popular at the time, but it turns out that there were huge stakes because, you know, my mom had blind spots. She was just a regular person. And my dad like filled in those blind spots pretty adequately. Um, just not in a conventional way. You know, now he's dead. So, um, there's that. Now, oh yeah, so the right is going to go after divorce, is what I'm saying. The right is going to go after no-fault divorce. And people who want abortion on demand and the people who want divorce on demand, those are usually, those are kind of the same people. You know, a lot of white women who don't really think about things in a very serious way. And a lot of black women who get paid by those white women. So if you're just thinking about, if you're just casual about abortion on, uh, abortion on demand and casual about divorce on demand, you're, you're not really serious about anything except like liberal subjective freedom. Um, do I personally blame my father's early passing? I mean, I remember, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, he would have lived a happier, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, bad things happen. Um, what I don't blame my mother for is, um, she didn't know any better. She was in the water. It, like it was just, this was just a culture. She was a product of the culture, which is, it's funny cause I hear Kanye 
talk about like his family situation. It's very similar, and we're the same age, which makes me think that like it wasn't just me. <laughs> um, it was everybody in the culture, and for the most part, I was raised by you know the culture. My mom worked nights, so it's pretty much raised by uh, television. Ah, right, so I should work three to eleven, second shift. So, um, what? The right's going to go after no-fault divorce, and I don't want the I don't I don't want the Dobbs equivalent to happen to divorce. So the left has to like, and the progressives have to get like the dignity of the family right and what casual divorce means, and get and try to find a cultural fix, and try to find a cultural fix to the divorce problem before the right finds a more muscular external fix to. Uh, um, the child abuse that is a, a culture of casual divorce because I do think this can be like culturally fixed um, I mean it's you have to take driver's ed to get the driver's license often it's but you can just have kids and, 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 and get married without actually thinking about what any of it means we could we could do more to say like what the nation's interest in stable marriages is and then support them both in material policy but also just with better educational policy so that people like you shouldn't know more about stis than it is to than you do about how to or sex trafficking they talk a lot about sex trafficking in schools now than you do about how to like sustain and and like uh, a healthy marriage for the sake of the kids and what an ethical love looks like about like not just breaking up because you feel like it or you're following your bliss um so, uh, so the right is going to go after no-fault divorce, and they're going to do it in a more muscular, uh, inappropriate way, where I think if the left doesn't get serious about families, um, it's going to, um, that, the, the right's push is going to win. And there's a way in which, which is unfortunate, there's a way in which the right's going to be right, because the, the casualness with which we think about like liberal divorces, the culture of liberal and casual divorce is actually pernicious and actually is a form of child abuse. Now, um, I'm reading a book right now called The, uh, the, the Two-Income Privilege, uh, not The Two-Income, The Two-Parent Privilege, and it's a, written by an economist out of University of Maryland, and it goes over a litany of the statistical advantages that people with two parents have. But I don't think that's ultimately uh, going to work. I don't think that's ultimately going to be the argument that that works because that the argument that like sure kids do better in school, they do better in life, all of that, none of that matters when you're talking about someone else's freedom, right? So if you're going to actually think about what it means to curtail um, a, an adult's freedom to get a divorce or like even culturally stigmatize it, then you're going to have to not deal with just the statistics. You have to actually talk about it in terms of what it does to the kid's freedom and what it does to the kid's chances of self-determination and coherence of the world that enables self-determination. Because if you don't know what you're doing, you can't determine yourself. And what I'm saying is, if you go back through the argument, that once... Um, family split, especially for irreconcilable differences. Not just because someone dies or anything like that or someone did something, but if it's just random irreconcilable differences that account for the split, then what you've done is taken away the kid's knowledge of the world because knowledge doesn't matter anymore. So, and you can't determine yourself if it's 
if knowledge doesn't matter anymore. Um, because you don't, how would you know what you're doing? Um, so thank you for your time. If you appreciate what I'm doing, go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com, kick in $5, $15, $50 a month, and I'll keep doing it. I'm going to talk about something completely different on Thursday. I'm going to talk about, um, I'm actually going to talk about how the best way to undermine Democrats and their kind of blase relationship to both labor and racial justice is like, doesn't necessarily like mean voting for Democrats. Um, and how justice and justification are, are tied. The quick one-liner is that, look, justice in general is about giving people what they would do. And one thing they do is often in a, in a world that's governed by reason um, uh, is a justification. They're owed a reason. So if you're, if you're denying people the reasons for what you're doing, you're actually doing an injustice by them. There's one reason why we should mandate debates for candidates and um, because and, and, and mandate press conferences. But I'll go into some of this stuff on Thursday. Thank you for your time. I will talk to you uh, Thursday. Peace. <laughs>